Section 15 of The Little Angel and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Little Angel and Other Stories by Leonid Nikolaevich Andreev. Translated by W. H. Lowe. In the Basement, Part 2. That day, a Saturday, the frost was so severe that the boys did not go to school, and the horse races were postponed for fear of the horses catching cold. When Natalia Vladimirovna came out from the lying-in hospital, she was for the first moment glad that it was evening, that there was no one on the embankment, that none met her, an unmarried girl with a six-day-old child in her arms. It had seemed to her that as soon as she should cross the threshold, she would be met by a shouting, hissing crowd, among whom would be her senile, paralytic, and almost blind father. Her acquaintances, students, officers, and their young ladies, and that all these would point the finger at her and cry, There goes a girl who had passed through six classes at the high school, had acquaintances among the students, both intellectual and of good birth, who used to blush at a word spoken unadvisedly, and who six days ago gave birth to a child in the lying-in hospital side by side with other fallen women. But the embankment was deserted. Along it the icy wind travelled unrestrained, lifted a grey cloud of snow, ground by the frost into a biting dust, and covered with it everything living and dead which met it in its path. With a gentle whistle it wove itself round the metal pillars of the railings, so that they shone again, and looked so cold and lonely that it was a pain to look at them. And the girl felt herself to be just such a cold thing, an outcast from mankind and life. She had on a little short jacket, the one which she usually wore skating, and which she had hurriedly thrown on when she left her home suffering the premonitory pains of childbirth. And when the wind seized her, and wrapped her thin skirt about her ankles, and chilled her head, she began to fear that she might be frozen to death. And her fear of a crowd disappeared, and the world expanded into a boundless icy wilderness in which was neither man nor light nor warmth. Two burning teardrops gathered in her eyes and froze there. Bending her head down, she wiped them away with a formless bundle she was carrying and went on faster. Now she no longer loved herself nor the child, and both lives seemed to her worthless. Only certain words which had, as it were, sunk into her brain, persistently repeated themselves, and went before her calling. Niemchinovskaya Street, the second house from the corner. Niemchinovskaya Street, the second house from the corner. These words she had repeated for six days as she lay on the bed and fed her infant. They meant that she must go to Niemchinovskaya Street, where her foster-sister, an unfortunate, lived, because only with her could she find an asylum for herself and her child. 
A year ago, when all was still well, and she was continually laughing and singing, she had visited Katya, who was ill, and had helped her with money. And now she was the only human being remaining before whom she was not ashamed. Niemchinovskaya Street, the second house from the corner. Niemchinovskaya Street, the second house from the corner. She walked on, and the wind whirled angrily around her, and when she came upon the bridge it greedily dashed at her bosom and dug its iron nails into her cold face. Vanquished, it dropped noisily from the bridge and circled along the snow-covered surface of the river, and again swept upwards, overshadowing the road with cold, trembling wings. Natalia Vladimirovna stood still, and in utter weakness leaned against the rail. From the depth below there looked up at her a dull black eye, a spot of unfrozen water, and its gaze was mysterious and terrible. But before her resounded and called persistently the words, Niemchinovskaya Street, the second house from the corner, Niemchinovskaya Street, the second house from the corner. Kinyakov dressed and lay down again on his bed, rolled to the very eyes in a warm overcoat, his sole remaining possession. The room was cold, there was ice in the corners, but he breathed into the astrakhan collar and so became warm and comfortable. The whole long day he kept deceiving himself that tomorrow he would go and seek work and ask for something. But meanwhile he was content not to think at all, but merely to tremble at the sound of a raised voice the other side of the wall, or at the sound of a sharply slammed door. He had lain long in this way, perfectly still, when at the entrance door he heard an uneven rapping, timid and yet hurried and sharp, as if someone was knocking with the back of the hand. His room was the one next to the entrance door, and by craning his head and pricking up his ears he could distinguish everything which took place near it. Matryona went to the door and opened it, let someone in and closed it again, and then followed an expectant silence. "'Whom do you want?' asked Matryona, in a hoarse, unfriendly tone. A stranger's voice, gentle and broken, bashfully replied, "'I want Katya Nechaeva. She lives here.' "'She did. But what do you want with her?' "'I want her very badly. Is she not at home?' And in her voice there was a note of fear. "'Katya is dead.' She died, I say, in the hospital. Again there was a long silence, so long indeed that Kenikov felt a pain at his back, but he did not dare to move it, while the people there kept silence. And then the stranger's voice pronounced gently and without expression the one word, Goodbye. But evidently she did not go away, since in the course of a minute Matryona asked, What have you there? Have you brought something for Katya? Someone knelt down, striking her knees on the floor, and the stranger's voice, convulsed with suppressed sobs, uttered quickly the words, Take it, take it, for the love of God, take it, and then I'll, I'll go away. But what is it? Again there was a long silence, and then a gentle weeping, broken and hopeless. 
There was in it a deadly weariness and a black despair without a single gleam of hope. It was as though a hand had impotently drawn the bow across the over-tightened, the last remaining string of an expensive instrument, and when the string snapped, the soft wailing note had been silenced forever. "'Why, you have nearly smothered it!' exclaimed Matriona, in a rough, angry tone. "'You see what sort of people undertake to bear children. How could you do it? Whoever would wrap up babies like that?' "'Come now, come along, do, I say. How could you do such a thing?' Once more all was silent near the door. Kinyakov listened a little longer, and then lay down, delighted that no one had come to fetch him, and not taking the trouble to guess the truth about what he had not understood in that which had just taken place, he began already to feel the approach of night, and wished that someone would turn the lamp up higher. He became restless.' and clenching his teeth, he endeavored to restrain his thoughts. In the past there was nothing but mire, falls, and horror, and there was the same horror in the future. He was just beginning by degrees to snuggle himself together and draw up his hands and feet when Danyasha came in, dressed to go out in a red blouse, and already slightly intoxicated. She plopped down on the bed and said with a gesture of surprise, "'Oh, Lord!' She shook her head and smiled. They have brought a little baby here. Such a tiny one, my friend, but he shouts just like a police inspector. Just like a police inspector. She swore whimsically and coquettishly flipped Kenyakov's nose. Let's go and see. Why not indeed? Yes, we'll just take a look at him. Matriona is going to bathe it. She is boiling the samovar. Abram Petrovich is blowing up the charcoal with his boot. How funny it all is! And the baby is crying, wah, wah, wah! Danyasha made a face which she meant to represent the baby, and again went on pulling, wah, 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 just like a police inspector. Let's go. Don't you want to? Well, then devil take you. Turn up your toes where you are, rotten egg, you. And she danced out of the room. But half an hour after, Kinyakov, tottering on his weak legs, and hanging on to the doorposts, hesitatingly opened the door of the kitchen. "'Shut it! You've made a draft!' cried Abram Petrovich. Kinyakov hastily slammed the door behind him, and looked round apologetically, but no one took any notice of him, so he calmed down. The combined heat of the stove, the urn, and the company made the kitchen pretty warm, and the vapour rose and then rolled down the colder walls in thick drops. Matriona, with a severe and irritated mien, was washing the child in a trough, and with pock-marked hands was splashing the water over him while she crooned. "'Little lambkin, then, it's all be clean, it's all be white.' Whether it was because the kitchen was light and cheerful, or because the water was warm and caressing, at all events the child was quiet, and wrinkled up its little red face as though about to sneeze. Then Yasha looked at the tub over Matriona's shoulder, and seizing her opportunity, splashed the little one with three fingers. "'Get away!' the old woman cried in a threatening tone. "'Where are you coming to? I know what to do without your help. I have had children of my own.' "'Don't meddle. She's quite right. Children are such tender things,' said Abram Petrovich, in support of her. "'They want some handling.' 
He sat down on the table and, with condescending satisfaction, contemplated the little rosy body. The baby wriggled its fingers, and Danyasha, with wild delight, wagged her head and laughed. Just like a police inspector. But have you seen a police inspector in a trough? asked Abram Petrovich. All laughed, and even Kenyakov smiled, but almost immediately the smile left his face affright, and he looked round at the mother. She was sitting wearily on the bench, with her head thrown back, and her black eyes abnormally large from sickness and suffering, lighted up with a peaceful gleam, and on her pale lips hovered the proud smile of a mother, and when he saw this, Kenyakov burst into a solitary, belated laugh. He, he, he! He even looked proudly round on all sides. Matryona took the baby out of the tub and wrapped it in a bath-sheet. The child burst into a loud crying, but was soon quieted again, and Matryona, unrolling the sheet, smiled in confusion and said, "'What a dear little body, just like velvet! Let me feel,' entreated Danyasha. "'What next?' Danyasha began suddenly to tremble all over, and stamped her feet, choking with longing, and mad with a desire which overwhelmed her. She cried in such a shrill voice as none had ever heard from her. "'Let me! Let me!' "'Yes, let her!' entreated Natalia Vladimirovna in a fright. And Danyasha, just as suddenly, became quiet again. She cautiously touched the child's little shoulder with two fingers— and following her example, Abram Petrovich, with a condescending wink, also reached out to that little red shoulder. "'Yes, indeed. Children are tender things,' said he in self-justification. Last of all, Kinnikov tried it. His fingers felt for a moment the touch of something living, downy like velvet, and withal so tender and feeble that his fingers seemed no longer to belong to him, and become as tender as the something he touched. And thus, craning their necks and unconsciously lighting up into a smile of strange happiness, stood the three, the thief, the prostitute, and the lonely broken man, and that little life, feeble as a distant light on the step, was vaguely calling them some whither, and promising them something beautiful, bright, immortal. And the happy mother looked proudly on, while above the low ceiling the house rose in a heavy mass of stone, and in the upper flats the rich sauntered about and yawned with ennui. Night had come on, black, malign, as all nights are, and had pitched her tent in darkness over the distant snowy fields, and the lonely branches of trees became chilled with fear, just those branches which first welcomed the morning sun. With feeble artificial light man fought against her, but strong and malign she girded the isolated lights in a hopeless circle, and filled the hearts of men with darkness, and in many a heart she extinguished the feeble flickering sparks. Kinyakov did not sleep. Huddled up together into a little ball, he hid himself under a soft heap of rags from the cold and from the night, and wept without effort, without pain or convulsion, as those weep whose hearts are pure and without sin, as the heart of a little child. He pitied himself, huddled up into a heap, 
and it seemed to him that he pitied all mankind and the whole of human life. And in this feeling there was a secret, profound gladness. He saw the child just born, and it seemed to him that he himself was reborn to a new life, and would live long, and that his life would be beautiful. He loved and yet pitied this new life, and he felt so happy that he laughed so that he shook the heap of rags, and then asked himself, Why am I weeping? But he could not discover the answer to his own question, and so replied, So. And such a profound thought was conveyed by this short word, and this wreck of a man, whose life was so pitiable and lonely, was convulsed with a fresh burst of scalding tears. But at his bedside rapacious death was noiselessly taking its seat, and waiting, quietly, patiently, persistently. End of section 15